guys. Two quick announcements, one of which is really important for today's episode. Uh, first off, we wanted to let everyone know that we are now accepting online reservations for our upcoming event with Thinking Poker this March 25th and 26th in the New York City area. For more information about the event and to sign up, just head to justhandspoker.com slash thinkingpokernyc. Okay, secondly, we have an awesome guest today, John the Lawyer, a lawyer turned Foxwoods professional. We recorded two hands with John, but we're only able to release one. Uh, but there are some important takeaways from the first hand that are relevant to this episode. Uh, so in the first hand that we discussed, John ended up going for some thin value with pocket nines uh, into an opponent who ends up holding ace-4 after donking on an ace-8-4 two-diamond flop. That's definitely an incomplete version of the hand, but you know the, the thin value aspect definitely would have affected John's image in this hand. Uh, also, John is playing 5-10 at Foxwoods in this hand. Also, John did not give us his hand uh, until the river. So that is not a mistake. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in and enjoy the episode. So, but anyway, let me just, I'm going to give you a quick 30-second review and you can tell me what I've left out. So Pam has had a bad day. Pam has been stacked twice both way ahead, you know, one of them was a 3-5 all-in pre-flop that Pam lost. Pam's on her third buy-in. Pam has built the stack up to 1,250. I'd say overall, Pam, even though is a recreational player, Pam's been around for eight years managing to break even or be a small loser playing 2-5 and 5-10. How does Pam do that? Pam stays tight and disciplined has very good hand selection, especially for a recreational player, makes big folds. Earlier, Pam shoulders, he folded, she folded two pair. Um, and uh, the the weakness that Pam has is Pam does not get full value and is scared, uh, so much so that on 4-4, four, four, having a set on 10-8-4-10-6, so having bottom full house, when someone bet into Pam, Pam just called. Mm. And so here we are. Pam is Pam. Pam switched position on on me. She's right behind me. She's called a sixty dollar, my sixty dollar raise of our villain from the last hand, Derek's limp. Okay. Uh, and Pam, Pam is one to three bet premium hands. Pam does not three bet less than ten ten. Uh, I saw Pam pre-bet earlier in, I mean, in this session, what Pam made, I thought was actually a, 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 a good play. Uh, it went a raise, something like this. I'm not, I'm not going to get it perfectly right, but it went something like a raise to 30 from early position, maybe under the gun, maybe a second caller. Pam just calls the 30. The small blind makes it a hundred the worst player at the table who just lost his stack cold calls the hundred. The other players fold. It gets back to Pam. Pam has 700 in, in, in her stack and the small blind I think has about the same. And the bad player has about the same Pam rips it all in the small blind who made it a hundred folds and the big blind calls with the three five suited and Pam loses to uh, a turn river three and five. So did not three bet nines on the button 
at at when the initial at, at a pretty good spot to do it, and only did it later on, realizing that the small blind was probably raising too loosely, and it wasn't worth seeing a flop for the money in a multi-way pot. Better just to get it in. I think it was the right play. Given that uh, she ended up, you know, with nines against three five, uh, I think it was definitely the right play. And that that's just so funny to how like Jack. I think we uh, former podcast guest Dave uh, Carf was on the the podcast after his. He was on the podcast before, but we play, played a session shortly after MGM opened, and a guy sat down at a one-two game, bought in for the max five hundred, and shoved all in blind until he lost about four k. And the way people adjusted was just kind of horrendous. You know, like I'm guessing Pam in that spot. You know, she's smart enough to know how to adjust, but like is probably on the fence about doing it with nines and eights, and wouldn't do it with like fives or fours. You know, a hundred percent true, and yeah. right on the fence. Nines, nines on. <laughs> If Pam hadn't lost the buy-in earlier, nines may have even been put in the muck somehow. But I think Pam is also heated by by losing in a frustrated way earlier. So you're right. Fives and sixes wouldn't even be – how about Pam's folding fives and sixes pre-flop to a race? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just like the, the, pe- when people play against really loose players, they really just don't adjust, you know? Like they're just like, you know, I'm going to still play my tight game and then when I hit, I'm going to get them basically you know or like they'll add like one hand or two hands to their like very very overly tight calling range and wouldn't even consider putting those in like a re-raising you know a hundred percent right i saw a person lose a big pot where twice um they fell victim to the same type of thing where it was a person who was one player was like like you were saying just you could tell this person was just looking to get it in any two cards he was going to cold call or ship it in he had like 500. He was just pl- – he was looking to get it in almost every hand. And it was, this is a recent phenomenon. He you know, he might have been playing okay and then got stacked once, got stacked twice, and now was just doing anything. So I isolated with ace, jack of diamonds. I, I, I had put in a, a four bet up to 400 when the guy was sitting with 500, and I was willing to fold to any more action. And a type player that fits this same type with two tens – folded uh was furious after he saw the hands and couldn't believe that you know he he it, it, the other person had like king five or something you know uh, um and he couldn't believe he did it it happened the second time and believe it or not he had tens again and the same thing happened but with a different player a tighter player than me isolating and the tighter player had ace queen the other guy had ace four. He had two tens. He flopped a ten on the flop, and I thought his head was going to explode. <laughs> and he was just saying, you know, like similar thing, how bad you guys play. This is I can't believe this. I can't believe this is happening to me. But as you said, if you just made the adjustment, if a guy is going to be shipping in ace four for five hundred or king five, and you know that I know that, well then tens is the virtual nuts. And we're not talking about five thousand dollars here. We're talking about a hundred big blinds, and in that spot. Put it in and gamble, and, and and put me make me have a tougher decision. Yeah, I that's part of you know it's it's a slightly different situation, but uh, that's part of why I really love splash pot promotions. When all of a sudden, like you know, if you're if you're sitting in like a one three or a two five game, and someone puts five hundred dollars in the middle pre flop, like it's going to be correct to just like basically shove pre flop uh, with a lot of hands. 
and people just like you know they have like what they're, they're just not adjusting properly at all in sort of the same way as the guy who uh is jamming 500 preflop every time agreed yeah, yeah i had a guy fold ace queen once to me after i shipped it in for like we were both pretty deep i had like 800 behind and uh there was like 300 in the middle you know and he like opened and i shipped it with some not good hand and he like folded ace queen face up last splash yeah played. right and if you're like if you have that kind of fold equity like you know fold equity in the sense that every time he folds you get like this huge pot uh what was his what was his opening size I, i'm curious this was actually at the planet hollywood uh, right. over the summer and it was it was 300 in the middle and i had him covered by a little bit and he had like 800 effective and he was in uh, like middle position and there was like a few limps and he made it like he made he like raised it kind of small i think he made it like 20 this is a, a deep stacked one two game by the way um and then yeah i had like i think like queen 10 or queen jack and shipped it on the button after everyone folded and the blinds looked disinterested in the hand, which seems like a pr- is a pretty standard play, you know. Uh, I thought his opening, I thought that sizing to me looked like, you know, I really don't want to get raised, but I have probably have a better hand than you. I didn't realize it was as strong as ace queen, but like, you know, he folded it. So, <laughs> all right. So we were, yes, yeah, we were somewhere. <laughs> we were somewhere. We were somewhere in discussing this hand. Uh, I think. Pam had just called called your preflop raised to sixty over Derek's lamp. Correct. Okay. And then a one person behind Pam, called Pam plus one, also calls. The cutoff calls. Both blinds fold, and Derek, the original limper, also calls the sixty. So five people see a flop with three hundred and fifteen dollars in it. And the flop is Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Diamonds, Nine of Clubs. Both the original Limper and I check, and Pam elects to bet 155 with two people still to act behind her. And uh, with the original Limper and I having uh, checked to Pam. Okay. And remind me, do you have Pam covered? I do. Okay. And Pam has started the hand with like 1250? Correct. Okay. Well, first, let me just make some sort of broad theoretical points about this decision. So first of all, we are in a five-way pot. So even though we have, you know, we were the pre-flop raiser, uh, we should be c-betting a pretty small percentage, uh, and we should be polarized to sort of a very strong range of our best bluffs and our strongest value hands. So things I'm not c-betting for value are hands like ace-queen and kings. Kings might surprise people because, you know, it's like an overpair with a gut shot. But I actually think those qualities make it a really perfect hand to put into a check-calling range because it can improve and it's ahead of basically any bluff and some value hands. Hands I would bluff would be like ace-king with the ace of diamonds, nut flush draws, Maybe a hand like, well, certainly a hand like 9-10 of diamonds. Um, maybe some percentage of our 10s since that those have nice blocking value. Uh, but but hands like that. And when Pam has a similar situation where 
likely she's only betting you know her strongest hands and her strongest draws. So when she bets, uh, the four remaining opponents don't individually need to call that much to you know stop Pam from seeing an immediate profit with her bluffs. And we bear the largest calling responsibility because we're last to act uh, after her bet. Uh, so the others have to worry about, you know, us or maybe under the gun coming in for a raise. But we don't. So we should be calling a little bit wider than our other opponents, but still not very wide. So hands I would probably want to call with would be like King Queen, King Jack, Queen 10 if we have any, maybe some Jack 10, uh, and then maybe some of our Ace King especially with like the King of Diamonds. I like that. I have a question for you, though. You mentioned, you know, you may, let's say you may bet Kings into four, three people behind you. What are you going to do if it, if it goes call, raise, or you're facing a big raise, you're going to be playing this big pot in a really wet flop against several opponents out of position, and it's un- except for a ten or a king, except for a ten. Really, I mean, yeah, not really likely to improve. So, what's your plan if you, let's say you don't? Let's say you bet the one fifty five, and it goes six hundred. And let's well, say, you know, if, if, if obviously if it, if it comes around and the last person makes it six hundred, it's different. But I think you might be opening yourself up to people shoving a lot worse hands than that, and you're going to be putting yourself in a tough position, no? Uh, I think maybe I misspoke. Uh, Kings is definitely a hand I would be checking here. I, uh, I think very much for the reasons you described. I, I like checking because I think it's a hand we're very happy to put in one bet here with on the flop. Uh, and if it checks through, it's also not terrible because you know there's not too many... I mean, there's some not great cards for, you know, if we're Kings... To come on the turn, like a jack, a queen, a nine are all pretty gross. Uh, but, for example, a ten is a great card for us. Uh, a king isn't a terrible card for us. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good card, but it's not a card we're going to be wanting to get very much money in until we potentially boat up. Uh, but kings is definitely a hand that I'm happy to check call uh, one bet. I think if it goes bet raise, I'm happily... I'm not happily calling kings. I'm probably just folding. I think you could consider bluff raising a hand like kings because it blocks the nuts, but I don't think that's necessary in these games. So yeah, kings is definitely a hand I like checking, along with king queen because it you know it's a pretty similar hand. That sounds good. Yeah, and just uh, just to add, like what I think our kind of worst bluff catchers are here is. You know, we're going to have, I think, all of the Jack-10 suited and Queen-10 suited here. Uh, and may- maybe even the King-10 suited. Like, uh, sorry, uh, did I say bluffs or bluff catchers? I, I meant bluff catchers. Bluff catchers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it would be a mistake against Pam to be calling with all of those hands. Just because, um, I-, I don't know if you said this recently or if earlier early in the day, John, but, you know, Pam's range here is, you know, even if she doesn't have to have a strong value hand all the time, her her draws have a lot of equity against you, and especially with a hand like Jack ten suited or Queen ten suited, uh, that's not really doing that well against her range. So, I think, uh, you know, my check calling range here is going to be 
pretty pretty strong, and I'm going to have some 10x hands, but it might. It, I I don't even know if I would call with queen 10 suited. It seems a little nitty, but based on the way you described her, I, I might be folding queen 10 suited there. That's kind of like the margin for me. I don't. What do you What are you thinking in terms of, you know, the bottom of your range here? I'm I'm not saying it to placate you. I, I feel <laughs> like that's that's it, spot on. I feel like if Pam had been the last person to act, I'm a hundred percent calling with my queen tens. Yeah. But when when Pam bets into two people who have cold called a $60 raise from an early position player in on such a wet board. I, I mean, Pam is opening herself up to be raised or to play a massive pot of position if it goes call, call. So I think that Pam's range is strong here. I don't think this is in any way a hapless bluff or uh, a, a, a questionable or, you know, maybe, I don't think it's a super weak value hand. I think you're right that based on Pam's pre-flop tendencies to play a low percentage of hands and the fact that Pam is betting into two people who haven't acted yet in a five-way pot on a super wet flop makes it so that she should be have a, a much stronger than usual hand if it were only, let's say, heads up or three-handed. I think another... Another factor I'm thinking about is that for for other players, I think the bet sizing would be pretty suspect. Uh, it's a pretty small bet considering how much strength Pam is representing, and I think it's probably a mistake uh, because you know, even if even if she's holding to the top of her range, king ten, which I think actually makes up a pretty large portion of this bet, uh, which is part of why I like calling with uh some of our ace king but that being so what i'm getting at is that i think some players this sizing might be more like a king queen i don't know what to do but i don't feel like i should check so i'm gonna bet small where that same player might bet a lot larger with a hand like nines uh they're feeling like they really really want to protect i think for for pam Given the fact that we've said that she has a tendency to miss value, I assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume part of that is her bet sizing. And I, I see this as a pretty common mistake amongst decent recreational players, that they just sort of value bet too small. Uh, so I'm guessing that this is sort of a symptom of that problem, and Pam is very likely to have a hand like King-10 and be betting a little bit smaller than the scenario... Uh, dictates. I do think nines, I think any set seems unlikely with this bet sizing because it's just such a dangerous board uh, that I think someone would feel very vulnerable with a set and wouldn't want to charge such a cheap price for people to draw. Uh, that's my guess. But I could see that you know a, a, the same person being maybe just scared of already being behind and that being the reason they're betting small with a hand like nine so i'm not going to obviously rule it out entirely yeah that's kind of an interesting thing like I, I think you're spot on uh most likely about what the bet sizing tell is but that doesn't necessarily give you that much insight into what the range is you know kind of like the the previous hand that uh, we talked about with john you know it's like maybe that bet sizing was like oh shit he raised me and he's like a tough player like he might have aces or something you know like it's hard to say what these smaller bet sizes means when they show up with like 
a you know kind of top of the range value hand. Agree with those observations, and I would say, you know, three, four, five years ago, people, if they had a good hand here and they're a recreational player, they're going to bet at least the pot, possibly. But I feel like maybe because of watching tournaments or because of people discussing um, smaller bet sizing, or maybe they're just observing smaller bet sizing, I feel like much more smaller bet sizing is. In fashion, that's not to say it's not strategically correct, but whereas three or four years ago, I would have read the bet sizing here as to mean this can't be a, a very strong hand because they're not protecting it. But earlier today, I was fooled with the ace four in the same way you described. And earlier, I saw another person min raise with the top two pair. And then when an ace came on the turn, you know, he had like queens and fives on a queen five two, and then the ace came. And he he made the same like bet as he did on the min raise, despite that there was a flush draw on the board, and it was a similar thing as you said. Is it is it is it because he doesn't realize that ace that uh, queen five is almost always going to be ahead, and somehow he's concerned that his opponent had a, a you know ace queen and just called or or ace five. It's I don't know if he knows why he's betting small, but I see a lot more smaller bets and i was fooled earlier with the ace four and when the person rolled over when another player rolled over queen five and he bet so small again i th I thought to myself geez that's so different from you know years ago if someone flopped queen five two and they check raise someone they might be looking to put in 70 big blinds they're not looking to min raise it and then make a super small turn bet so I didn't really know what to make of it. I agree with you that normally I would read this as a sign of weakness, but I'm not so sure anymore based on what I've seen just in my three days playing there, playing 510 again. I will say that I, I see this situation, this flop, and the flop with ace four uh, as two very different situations. Uh, I think... The ace four flop, the reason for the small bet sizing could easily be like, I want to make sure that these people call rather than uh, a symptom of fear of not always having the best hand. Uh, where yeah, in this right. case, Sorry. in this case, I would see it more as like, you know, with a hand like nine's fear of not having the best hand, uh, it's sort of, sort of inexplicable with a hand like king 10, but. Uh, just given the player description, I could see it. Yeah, probably not the best example of the phenomenon, but I'm pretty sure that could be the case for this hand. And I agree with that. And the, and the hands are different. This is this is different. Also, the stack sizes. Whereas the first player, he won. I think you're exactly right. He wanted it to go 100, 100, and maybe 250 or something. And he didn't care. He wasn't really protecting anything because he had two pair and he was happy to get all the money in. Whereas this player sitting with now over 100 big blinds, um, used to playing more 2-5, sitting with 1,200, just lost two different stacks. I'm sure he's much more concerned about um, about not getting it all in or not you know, not losing any more money than he has to if he's behind in his mind. Right. So Okay, so we call and... Everyone else turn. folds, importantly. Uh, so yeah, fold, fold, fold. Uh, we call, and the turn is the four of clubs. Ah, Brick City. Lovely. Yes, yes. 
So the board is queen of diamonds, jack of diamonds, nine of clubs, four of clubs, 625 in the pot. I check to Pam. Pam bets 325 into 625. So based on the way you've described Pam, um, I think it's really unlikely that she has a bluff here. I might might be wrong, but the way you've described her is that um, she really rarely bluffs, and if she does so, it's like with a strong draw. You know, and I, I also think that the fact that she bet uh, with people behind maybe makes her strong draw part of the range a lot less likely. I'm guessing that you're probably showing up here with some type of bluff catcher type hand. And now the question is just, is that maybe weaker medium strength value hand ahead of this half pot betting range? Um, I also think after, after Jack talks, this might be a good time to reveal the hand. What, what are you thinking, Jack? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm thinking we're up against a fairly nutted range. Uh, so I'm pretty happy to let go of most of my range here somewhat exploitatively. Uh, I think hands I would hold on to. Uh, a decent amount of our bluff catchers picked up flush draws uh, or backdoor flush draws. And I think those are great calls since, you know, if the if the river comes a club, we we might be a little bit worried about Pam checking back given her profile but i don't think one i don't think she would check back a hand like king 10 even if two clubs came and also if we you know rift it uh on a two club run out i still think pam would call it off with king 10 so i i think we have really nice implied odds with our club draws here maybe not so much with our diamond draws uh, and we also don't have a ton of diamond draws since we bet our nut we probably bet most of our nut flush draws on the flop uh, maybe not all of them, but at least some of them. And I think you said the queen and jack were both diamonds. So uh, very few. We we have very few like one pair diamond draws. Maybe a hand like nine eight of diamonds we might somehow have here. Uh, and I think that's a decent call. But I also don't mind folding that hand. So my reaction when Pam bet into all three players was. Why do I want to get in a questionable spot out of position against a strong range, whereas it might only seem like it's going to cost me 155, but we all know how generally that goes. And I feel like I had a similar feeling here on the turn, but I have to say, I also said, you know, I... I don't want to be scared of monsters under the bed. And yes, he has a very strong range, but I was not willing to let my hand go yet. I feel like I'm still ahead of a, a lot of his value hands um, or her value hands. Sorry, no joke this time. So I don't know if you want me to reveal what I had. I could tell you one more street and what I did, which might seem to be a little unusual. Um, it's up to you, whichever way you prefer it. Let's do the one more street. It's not, it's not, it sounds like that, that, that you kind of wanted that. And now I'm intrigued. I, I kind of think I know what you have too, but that's uh <laughs> okay. So the river comes and it is the three of clubs. 
for a final board of Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Diamonds, Nine of Clubs, Four of Clubs, Three of Clubs. Given all of the descriptions that we've discussed earlier about Pam, and even something that I think, Jack, you just said in our in the last four minutes of the discussion, I elected to unconventionally lead 400 into this river. And is, is that a shove? No, not at all. In fact, I'm del- I, 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 so I left Pam with 350 behind, 360 behind. Well, first, just to address the bet sizing, I like the bet sizing. If you think uh, Pam will treat this bet sort of as a shove, like in the sense that if she shoves, she expects you're never folding, uh, in which case you're basically just getting away with a cheaper bluff. I mean, not not to say you are bluffing, but if you were bluffing and you chose that sizing, uh, then I then I like it. If you if you ended up rivering a flush, I would just rip it. Uh, I don't see any reason to leave money behind. I would just put it at a test, uh, and I think she's going to fail a lot because <laughs> she flopped a straight. Not that that's necessarily even a fail uh, if you have a significant bluffing range, but so now let's say let's say you have a hand like. King, queen, ace, queen, kings, aces. I would, like, let's say you got to this spot and instead of a club, a diamond came and you have aces with the ace of diamonds. That would be a spot where I really like just ripping it uh, as a bluff. I think if you if you have a similar hand like king queen kings aces that you want to turn into a bluff this would just not be the run out i would choose i think it's tempting but i just i think players are just too likely to call and not believe that someone would get there on a backdoor flush so that's i i guess i since i don't know what you have and i i haven't actually addressed every possibility but that's sort of my so those are some of my thoughts I like them. I agree with them. Uh, I don't know that ripping in a completed possible diamond flush draw would work here. Only The only reason I say that, I think that it would uh, a lot of the times work, and it doesn't have to work a lot of the time. But it would be unusual for me to have a suited Broadway ace and flop that flop and have just check called two streets only to you know rip it all in when the flush gets there i feel like you know that's just not i think even a a a regular recreational player who's not doing much of a hand analysis is going to say what you're telling me you raise with what ace king of diamonds or ace ten of diamonds or ace you know and you you check that flop and then you just check called it down and then when you hit it you just went all in that doesn't make a lot of sense, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that it, it wouldn't work. Um, but I feel like this might just get sniffed out a little more often than, 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 than in other circumstances. Well, I, if you don't think it'll work, then don't do it for sure. But I, what I would say is that, like, given your description of Pam... I think if you did get to the river uh, with a flush, even if she doesn't think 
it's necessarily the nut flush. Like maybe she thinks it's the uh, eight nine of diamonds or something like that, uh, which is also a hand that you might choose to bluff uh, on the flop. So you know, maybe a hand like the seven eight of diamonds or something. Um, I I think you would expect her to check back the majority of rivers. So I definitely think you leading here uh, on like a diamond run out doesn't make value hands impossible. And the reason I like choosing a hand with the ace of diamonds or the king of diamonds is not so much because I want to try and represent the nut flush. More so, I just want to make sure that the nut flush is impossible in Pam's hand. So, I mean, if if Pam's never going to believe that you have a flush there, uh, then definitely no bluff. But to me... It seems like a pretty reasonable way to play some of your flush draws because you have maybe not a, you don't have a thin value range there, but you might not choose to, you know, bluff every single flush draw that you have. That's true. That's true. But I also feel like if Pam is at the top of her range, let's give Pam King 10 or any set, any of three different sets. I don't know that Pam is folding the nuts straight or let's just say maybe, maybe three nines, maybe, maybe, but probably not. But def- I don't think Pam's folding three Queens or three Jacks for, you know, less than a pot size bet on the river. I could be wrong, but if that's the case, then, then I don't like the half pot bet sizing with a bluff. And I probably just like shoving my entire range and exploitably not bluffing enough. I'm not balanced here with bluffs because, frankly, you're right. I'm I'm never bluffing for <laughs> for 400 here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel like I have a hand that I want to bet 400 with my hand. I I want to, okay, and so- I mean, I think I I think that. I'm going to get, I think it's going to be, you know, in my mind, I wasn't counting hands at the time. I was just doing a, you know, approximation, but my approximation was my hand beats more hands than he has by a little bit. And even if not, let's say I'm only ahead of 40% of the hands. I don't want to, I've checked the flop and called, I've checked the turn and called on a super drawery flop and a turn that got even a little bit more drawery. I mean, it was a brick, but it did put up two clubs. I don't think it's a real scare card, but to a recreational player who's kind of a scaredy cat, it's just another, um, you know, it becomes a little more scary. So I feel like, I feel like if I check, then Pam is going to be able to bet all in with every set and every straight, um, or at least if not all in, certainly more than 400, maybe, you know, maybe it's only 600, but I I feel like Pam can do that at will. I feel also Pam is going to check behind every hand that I beat. And I don't want that to happen. I feel like while my hand is, was certainly a bluff catcher on the flop and it is a bluff catcher on the turn. When the river runs out in the way that it does, I would hate to see a worse hand go check, check. And I would hate to have to pay an all-in 760 um, payoff bet with what I have. So I felt like 400 was a perfect split of this situation. 
but the perfect split of this situation has no bluffs in it. So I, you know, I lost out on a range balance in that way, but I wasn't really too concerned about it because it wasn't like, I frankly don't think there are going to be that many bluffs I'm going to get to by just check calling, check, check calling, and then ripping in the river. So, so what, what's your hand? Because I have two red aces. Hmm. You, so, Oh wow. I thought you were going to have Kings. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and I just like this a lot better with Kings than with aces. I, I definitely, I understand your, your reasoning. So just, just to recap, like, you know, with a hand like Kings or aces, if we think that, uh, Pam could ever be holding ace king or king queen or queen 10 or something like that we know that pam is going to check those back and pam might call a bet of 400 so we might be losing some value we also maybe think that the 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 rest of it i don't i don't know because i don't think we're ever calling a bet from pam here right with aces or kings Uh, if we check in pam bets if Pam bet, bets 400, you're folding? Yeah. Yeah, based on your player description, I would have yeah. I would have potentially considered folding this hand on the turn. Again, it's... Well, it's I, I, uh-huh. I, I, no, I agree. I agree with you that I did. I did. In fact, let's just click it back one to kings versus aces. And this isn't because I'm trying to be a contrarian to you saying, let's say, aces versus kings. But I believe both of you said, if you had kings on the turn you guys are most likely folding that hand and letting it go. And so we're really only clicking it back one with aces. I know aces is significant. Uh, There's no top card that can come. I had the the ace of diamonds. But the ace of diamonds also means that it doesn't have – it's even less likely that he has a draw. And it's even more likely that he has some value here. Yeah. Well, the reason I like – it's sort of complicated to talk about this because it, it sort of depends. I'm not necessarily talking about the same situation when I say this. Aces with the ace of diamonds, uh, I like as a bluff on a diamond runout. Kings, I like more as a value bet because you're blocking the nuts. I mean, that's basically basically it. I mean, with aces, you're also... I, I, I guess it's sort of six of one, half of the other in terms of blocking ace-queen versus blocking king-queen. I don't know which one you think is more likely to bet the flop, or if you think they're both likely to. I do think ace-queen is more likely, and there are six combinations of ace-queen, and there are many more, what's that, 12 combinations of king-queen. I would be somewhat surprised, but not astonished, if some bet into two people with king queen and that's why my initial reaction was what do you you really not you're really only ahead of ace queen which is really only six hands but i also feel like king queen has some possibilities to improve it also makes sense when you think of his bet sizing it's almost like i think i'm ahead here i think this is the best hand i'm not going to just let a diamond or a scare card come out. I'm going to bet it, but I'm going to bet it consonant with my hand strength, which is about a half pot bet. So those are the things that were going through my mind when I was deciding not to fold on the flop. I also thought there was some chance that he could be doing this here with a suited queen 10 or a suited jack 10. And now on the river, for sure, all, all of the hands we just mentioned are checking behind. 
if he bets 400, that's such a small thing. You're right. It probably is. A, it probably is a fold. But I also feel like he might be betting a screen there. He could he could squeeze out a $400 bet. It's so small in comparison to the pot. It's only $75 more than the previous one. It's less than a third of the pot. I don't know if I'm folding aces there. Maybe it's a little f- bit of a fishy fold. But for, for if he rips in 700 or she rips in 700, of course. If Pam rips in 700, then I fold aces. But I felt like that that's the spot. You know, I didn't really want to be in a calling. I wanted to set the price. And I also felt like I still beat as many hands as I lose to. Well, uh, I think it just really. Oh, go ahead. I just want to say, like, I think at this point, like, you know, we really have to ref- defer to your judgment here because you have a lot of history with this player and you have, you know, the the kind of tangible live reads that you can remember that that were there that maybe didn't necessarily translate when we talked about it and then also all the intangibles of the situation uh that you know was kind of impossible to translate to us who weren't there at the game i think this river decision is revealing things about pam that uh we were kind of thought a little bit differently about her on previous streets but yeah i'm not sure there's that much more to discuss um because it, it just it really depends on like kind of a few key small things about your your history with Pam and what you think she's going to do on this kind of bad day. Yeah, I, I will say, like, I feel like some of the details that we've gotten about Pam aren't totally adding up to me. Like, uh, does the person who, you know, flats uh, the full house in the hand that we talked about going to turn around and value bet king queen or ace queen you know, on this run out like i don't think you're totally uncapped here like i think you could have some straights uh you know i, don't, I definitely don't think that's impossible I, I just think given like the player description i would be very comfortable folding to pretty much any bet on the river i can understand calling the turn with aces knowing that on the river we can really comfortably fold to a bet if we think this player is going to, you know, not continue with hands that are worse. Uh, I also think the the fact that we've established that this player has a tendency to make big folds uh, doesn't make me think that we can very profitably turn around and start betting our hand for value now. Like, I would be pretty worried that uh, Pam would fold a hand like ace-queen or king-queen uh, not thinking that there's very much that you could have that uh, she beats. But saying all that, like, I still agree to Zach. I, I tend to defer to whoever's hand history it is in terms of, uh, you know, what you're thinking is going on here. Assuming they're a good thinking player. Kind of the opposite if they're not, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I mean, uh, I'm talking to John the lawyer, so. Yeah. Well, I will say John the lawyer just learned another thing, and that is I, I do agree with you. Thinking it more, over more, if Pam bets 400 on the river, the right thing to do is make a frustrated fold. You, you are right, and I do agree uh, with, with, the, with that aspect of it, and perhaps um, you know, I, I was wrong. Sometimes I just think, well, it's only 400 compared to now there's 60, so it's 25% of the pot. But you're right. Pam's not value betting, uh, and Pam's not bluffing. So – you're right. It would have been a mistake if I called the 400. But part of the – when we were talking about tanking a little while back, it actually is 
a little bit relevant to this situation where when the river came, I said, Pam is so tight here. I could get away with putting out whatever bet I want unless Pam has two clubs in her hand. I'm never getting raised. So I never, ever have to worry about getting bluff raised here, especially after the failed min raise bluff that Pam tried earlier and felt a little foolish about. But when I was deciding what I should do, I felt like time was ticking by. Maybe 30 seconds goes by and I'm like, should I bet? I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not going all in here because I feel like I'm going to get called by almost every hand that beats me. And I'm going to get every hand that's worse than me is going to get folded out. And I, I don't think that Pam is going to be prepared to lose $1,260 um, and the whole stack on a king queen. But I also feel like when I make a $400 bet and there's 1600 in the pot and it looks like that could just be making uh, almost like I, like when I made the, when I made the poor play earlier with the two nines, Pam mm-hmm. could also have remembered that and think, geez, John just could be doing this with so many hands. It's only 400. There's 1600 in this pot. I, I personally think that Pam is calling with frustratedly calling there with any queen. But if I ripped it in is never calling with queen 10 and maybe folding a lot of the king queens. Yeah. I mean, so I think it's it's sort of a savvy move if you're right to bet fold rather than check fold. Uh, if Pam is going to put never bluff you or never bluff raise you when you bet uh, and call with more hands that you beat than hands that beat you, certainly. Uh, I'm not based on Pam's description. I'm not totally convinced that's the case, but if it were, uh, then then I like it a lot. The other thing that sometimes makes that better is if Pam will, if you fold, a, you know, if Pam sort of incidentally bluffs you on when you check, uh, I'm not as worried about that happening. So it makes. You know, no, I'm not worried about that either. I don't think I think that whoever I don't remember which of you said it earlier, but when Zach or Jack, when one of you said, once Pam bets the turn with this amount in this situation, there's virtually Pam has revealed that that this is going to be a bluff almost never. Yeah. Yeah, and and especially considering that you're holding probably the worst bluff catcher. Or one of them, considering that you hold the Ace of Diamonds. Okay. So, I think some of the answers will be revealed when we do our podcast breakdown. Which, if uh, if you're not aware, John, is something we do after every episode. And we put on our blog. And basically, we just check, check on the things we said in the podcast using some software to make sure that the actual equities of the ranges that we've discussed... Uh, fit our assumptions and occasionally do a little bit more in terms of trying to figure out what the right thing to do was. Uh, but I think that that will definitely clarify this river decision. I, I I will check it out. I have not checked it out, but in preparation for the this conversation today, I did go through and count the hands and, you know, I found it to be, you know, let's say 18 sure calls um, where let's say it's going to be uh king queen or an ace king for that amount of money maybe not even every king queen but i also thought that 
it was probably 15 hands I'm losing to in this spot. Um, so I, I do think it's close. Um, I don't know if the $400 river bet was the right thing, but I will say that from just talking to you guys, while I'm as I'm convinced that if Pam raised it, I'm folding there every time, no problem. I would have called the $400 bet if it went, if I checked it. And now after speaking to you guys, I realized that that would have been a bad call. So I would, I'd, I'd still happily fold here. I don't think Pam is capable of bluff raising the last, whatever it is, uh, you know, 400, 300, less than, less than a min raise after the failed one earlier after I'm here in the pot in the river. So I felt like 400 was the right thing, but there was almost a little bit of danger of taking more than one minute in arriving at the bet size because I felt like I shouldn't be calculating so, so much because I feel like if I had the nuts or a near nutted hand, I would never be spending a minute calculating the amount to bet. Well, that might even work out in your favor because it might make her calling with king, queen, and ace, queen more likely. Uh, so I wouldn't worry too much about the tank. Uh, I think the reason I would check when I got to this spot, which we didn't talk so much about, uh, is that I think in the best case scenario, there's maybe a few more hands that you beat that will call than that you don't beat uh, that will call. But I, I think something where some of those hands that you beat drop off are in that I don't think she's always betting king-queen on the flop, and I don't think she's always betting king-queen on the turn. So I think that it's pretty likely that by the time you get to the river, some of the king-queen and some of the ace-queen uh, are gone. Absolutely correct. I, I agree with that. In fact, when I was deciding on the flop whether or not to call because if you can believe it i almost folded the flop i just said i feel like like you said like how many times is this is this is like ace queen or a hand that beats me or you know pro and probably not a bluff and probably not diamond so i i considered folding the flop and then i expected on the turn to get checked to and that is part of the reason why ultimately I decided to call the flop because I did feel, as you guys think, that there was going to be a lot of turns that, based on Pam's player profile, are going to get checked behind. And I'm not going to be put to a huge three-street test. And if Pam had bet the full pot on the turn, I would have folded. But because of the amount, that's when I was again in this conundrum of – geez, I'm not really ahead of that much that bets here. I don't know that Pam's betting king-queen here. But at the same time, the bet size is, again, small on this very drawy flop. Maybe I'm, if I fold here, I think I'm folding away too much equity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the strongest. It's, I think definitely the strongest hand you would consider folding on the flop and one of the strongest hands you would consider folding on the turn. And I think it's, it's definitely like a you know, a very reasonable hand to call twice and mm -hmm. fold the river. I also think if you're going to fold some of your aces on the turn, aces with the ace of diamonds is a decent choice because you're blocking some of Ham's bluffs. So, yeah. I also think calling with uh, 
aces with the ace of diamonds is is good if you think that on a diamond run out you can get Pam to fold hands like nines king ten. Uh, but given that we don't think that that's the case, then I think folding aces with the ace of diamonds on the turn versus calling is pretty pretty marginal. Yeah, this is a good okay. hand. I, I, I'm glad you liked it. Do you want to hear the result? Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. We're we're all, you know, not results oriented. No, uh, we're, but we still enjoy it. I've even deliberately when I when I didn't hear the result in a podcast one time, I didn't even bother to look it up. I guess I said, "What does it really matter?" But uh, in this one, after I bet, I was still fifty fifty. So I actually turned and quietly whispered to Pam, I have an overpair, is that good? And Pam quietly whispered back, yeah, that's good, good hand. And then I turned over my two aces and took the pot. Oh, yeah. See, that's where being a good citizen kind of lets you down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I would love to see what Pam had, just because it is really... did Pam... No, because remember, Pam called me. So Pam oh, was oh, not sh- oh, sorry. Pam was not, go- Pam was not going to show. Oh, I, I was confused. I mean, sorry. If, if, if Pam had the winner, obviously, Pam was going to show. But what I'm saying is I bet the 400. Pam probably tanked for one minute. And I remember thinking after one minute, I think I want the call. Now I want the call. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then uh, Pam called, but I still was not that sure at all. And that's when I whispered. I said, I have an overpair. And Pam politely didn't, you know, let's see it or whatever, just whispered politely back, that's good. Yeah, if she if she had Jack Nine suited in her pre flop range, that'd be really tilting to get a tank call from that, but that's also congruent. <laughs> I it, it, I mean I don't think I mean it's you know it's possible. Pam probably has a Jack Nine suited in her range, but I don't know if it's calling an under the gun plus one sixty dollars open raise. I think Pam probably has that on the button. I yeah, don't know that. that's what I mean. Like in that yeah, specific yeah. spot. Well, Queen Jack. Likely. I don't know if you included Queen Jack uh, in hands. Well, I just didn't think she would tank with that, but who knows? Oh no, not tank with it. But I'm talking about on the river bet. Uh, I, I did. In fact, that's okay, why. Good. Again, I was like, when I did. I counted the hands, and they, they, it's almost fifty. I mean, I think it's almost fifty-fifty. I'd be happy to see what you guys think. You know, I counted a uh, Queen Ten suited. Um, Jack 10 suited, discounted a couple of those, and then the 12 king queens, the six ace queens as what I beat, and then the sets of queens, jacks, nines, king 10 suited, queen jack suited. And also remember that even on the ace queens um, and the king queen and the queen jack, in one of three of those, it's also two clubs. So I would lose on all of those as well. Yeah, I think we're very yeah. good likely going to like your bet especially knowing that she's never going to raise less than a flush because then you're giving yourself a cheaper you know like she would be value betting more with that 50 percent that you're losing to and she would be checking back with uh, a lot of the hands that you could be getting value from so uh, i'm sure a bet of some sort is correct against pam's range it's just a question of you know what what sizing and i imagine this is this is a good sizing after kind of hearing all the factors that come into play for what it's worth, I think it's going to be a check, but we'll find out. Uh, yeah, it depends who does the the analysis, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll be looking forward to it either way. And I learned a lot from doing this with both of you, so thanks, Jack and Zach. 
Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, John. We've taken a lot of your time today. This might have been the longest kind of collective when you count in not just the the recording, but the technical difficulties, breaks, and everything, the, the longest amount of time we've gotten from a podcast guest before. So we're really thankful, and we have at least two episodes worth of content here. So, <laughs> Okay, John, thank you so much. And if I'm ever playing at Foxwoods or in the Boston area, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. I'd be happy to meet up with you guys. In fact, I talked to a friend of mine who's my age, a uh, successful business person. And he's just discovering poker, and he loves it. Um, and I, I linked him to your Greg Raymer uh, video, which I'm going to be reviewing now. But I also have discussed with him this, the possibility that maybe we will travel down to a Thinking Poker podcast that you guys are doing in the, in the same as the Greg Raymer for – well, I shouldn't say Thinking Poker podcast, but that crew doing yeah. a similar thing. So there's a, some possibility that maybe my friend Sean and I will drive down. Yeah, we'll we'll make we'll make something work. So don't don't schedule anything in the second to last or last weekend of March and we'll give you more details in a week or two once we know. I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to the analysis. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Okay, have a great day, John. You too. Bye.